Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. All right, before we uh open the word, let's just pray one more time. Father God, thank you for your indwelling presence. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your enabling, Father. Thank you that when we come to the preaching of the word, we're not uh doing this in our own strength. And I do pray, Father, speak uh in a deep way to each heart tonight. I pray that each heart would be open, Father. Uh that we may be hearers and also doers. Lord, as we come to yet another challenge, Father, we recognize that our minds often think of uh the obstacles or the difficulties which we might face uh when seeking to do something which may go against the grain, which may not conform to perhaps the expectations of society for how a person might live their life. Father, I pray that you may by your spirit transform us, convict us, uh speak to us and let the message that we hear tonight be something that uh resonates and lasts as well in our lives as we seek to take decisions of obedience that alter the way that we live even in our uh our daily lives and uh the habits and patterns that we uh, that we've adopted lord up until this point in Jesus name amen amen we continue in missions uh during this month uh and i'm going to connect the message tonight with this morning uh in a in a way so for those who weren't here just in summary this morning we looked at the great commission Uh, a passage which uh, is obviously quite familiar to many but it's always good to look at familiar passages and look at them again in a little detail to see what they are really saying and we saw the instruction of the Lord Jesus to make disciples knowing that he is our lord knowing that uh, if we call him lord it also implies a decision to renounce a self-oriented life uh, that just seeks to follow the expectations of society of perhaps uh making sure that number 1 is looked after and that you get your nice car and your nice house whatever it is that uh, the world may see as a successful life but as we look to the lord as our master we say lord whatever it is that you are asking me i'm willing to do it because you are worthy and not only that we saw that uh the commands of jesus also come with his enabling so uh when we look at the command to the church to go and make disciples of all nations and perhaps uh we might be alarmed at the sort of challenges that may be involved of uh going to live in another place visas learning a new language a different lifestyle food culture uh perhaps issues of security in some countries as well it may seem very daunting but we also understand that the one who's giving the command said i will be with you even till the end of the age and i believe uh that as we uh engage in what he wants us to do he enables us and so we find uh that some of the situations or the things that seem impossible even the the general objective which is essentially the transformation of a human life something impossible for any human being we find 
the Lord being with us. We find the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the person. And the other emphasis this morning had to do with making disciples. Uh, disciples not just being uh, where a person maybe hears an evangelistic message and raises their hand and says, uh, and says or maybe repeats a prayer, uh, and that's sort of the end of the story. But essentially making disciples we spoke of as being uh, a commitment. You're basically enlisting or taking on somebody or perhaps a group of people in a process where those people are learning from you in order to grow in Christ-likeness. And then uh, in verse 20, we also saw Jesus saying, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And so uh, one of those commands to the original disciples was to make disciples. So there's almost a chain uh, happening where we today are sitting here because somebody who was a disciple of the Lord Jesus uh, imparted that into our lives or invested our lives and shared with us. So we are disciples because they were, and you can trace that back all the way to the first disciples. So this is kind of Jesus' master plan uh, for the redemption of the nations. And so... Uh, the challenge came for each one of us to consider how we are, or how we might be uh, involved in that. Whether it is here, and of course, keeping it in balance, I'm sure many of us are where we need to be. But the question is, uh, are you, have you considered this instruction of Jesus to make disciples? Is there somebody that you can invest your life in and seek to uh, train and teach them in the ways of the Lord? as they imitate you as you imitate Christ, just as Paul said. And we understand that we are uh, all imperfect, that we're all along the way, we're learning and growing, and essentially we want people to be disciples of Christ. But he has chosen, he could have, as uh, I think was said last week in one of the services, he could have chosen uh, another method to reach the world, but he chose us. He could have maybe chosen the angels uh, or, or shouted it out in a booming voice, but he chose to use us. And so the challenge is to view your, uh, your university campus or your workplace or your family also as a mission field uh, and as uh, some way that you can uh, be used of God to fulfill his great commission and bring others uh, into a, a process of growing into the Lord Jesus Christ, into the full measure of the Lord. Now, we also looked a little bit at the how, um, but not in too much detail. Uh, and we, uh, we're living in, uh, in an age, the last decades, there's been a lot of emphasis on church growth, strategies. Um, every now and again, you might hear of some new fad or new thing that some church somewhere is doing. Uh, and um, I'm not going to discredit the need to build bridges, to build a connection. Paul's saying we want to be all men, uh, all things to all men. Um, so things like sports ministry, there are different strategies that are involved. But the core of what Jesus is asking us to do is to make disciples. And something that I've noticed in uh, you know the relatively short time that I've been uh, in ministry is that those who are strong in the Lord, who are in ministry, who have longevity in ministry, are pretty much always, as far as I can see, people who are in an intentional process of discipleship. Uh, so when you uh, consider your church going, um, don't consider just coming on a Sunday as 
something to tick a box and say, well, I, I came to church and I listened to the sermon and that was enough. But uh, have a heart that, in Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 61, 2, that trembles at the word of God. There's a real uh, openness to what the Lord would say to you. There's a real hunger and a thirst and a desire to grow into Christ-likeness in your understanding of the word and also in following him and being a testimony to others. So uh, that's what we're talking about a little bit in terms of discipleship. Now tonight we're going to go to John chapter 13 and we're going to look a little bit more at the how. And essentially tonight I'm not going to emphasize um, perhaps cross-cultural missions as much as I did in the morning. Uh, but this applies across the board, wherever you are, whatever context you find yourself in, 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 your, in your campus, in your family, in your workplace, wherever you are, um, we are in God's mission and we are making disciples. And here we see a little bit of the how. So first we're just going to consider John 13, verse 34 and 35. Then we're going to look a little bit at the backdrop, a little bit at what was going on when Jesus said this. And then once again, we're going to challenge ourselves to sort of step up to the plate in the grace of God to live the way that our Lord and Master and Savior and the center of our lives uh, is challenging us to. So John thirteen thirty four to 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So the word commandment obviously is not a suggestion. And sometimes I think it's difficult for carnal man to accept that Christianity as a religion is not an appendage to one's life. It's not, um, if you consider your cell phone and you may think, I have these apps, but I have something missing that I need in order to make my cell phone work for me well, so I'm going to add one more app. And some people may view Christianity a little bit in that way. Um, you know, I've got my job sorted out, I've got this sorted out, my, the money's coming, I've got this and this. I suppose, you know, eternal life, maybe I need to be a good person. Maybe I need a little bit of religion just to kind of add to it, just to make sure that, like insurance or something like that. But it's quite difficult for the carnal man to understand that Christianity is a complete before and after. It's, it's, it's actually a, a giving over of your life. It's a dying to self. It's a, an exchange of agendas. And essentially we are laying aside uh, perhaps an agenda that's been uh, said before us by the society and saying, Jesus, if you're my Lord and Master, now I want to offer my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. I want my mind to be transformed. I want a renewal of the mind so I'll be transformed so that I'm able to prove or demonstrate what is your good, pleasing, and perfect will. And now when we see a new commandment I give to you, we have that same desire to say yes. Why is it a new command? We do see in the Old Testament the instruction to love. In fact, I had a look that uh, in the ESV, the word love appears 684 times. 
So if you consider the frequency, we must understand that unlike perhaps in a religion like Islam, love is absolutely central to uh, our existence and to the way that we are. But the word new command uh, is because there's a specific emphasis. We saw in, even in the Old Testament that we are to uh, love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That is actually found in Deuteronomy. But it's a new command because Jesus is now setting the standard uh, as to how we are to love one another. He says that you love one another just as I have loved you. So now we see for the first time, I believe, uh, in history, the full extent of an agape love or an unconditional love. And if you look a little further back in the same chapter, and I don't think we have time really to go over all of it, but the first section is entitled, Jesus Washes the Disciples' Feet. And this is, in fact, uh, the day before he died. Uh, so uh, if we consider the life of somebody uh, who we might want to learn from, perhaps who we respect, uh, and it's a person who intentionally is trying to lead somebody else in something good, I think if we have some final meeting where they're about to die, even though the disciples were oblivious, uh, though Jesus had warned them that he was going to die and, and be risen on the third day, they didn't understand that. But I think we would take that, those last teachings very seriously. Yes, this is what I need these disciples to, in, uh, to whose hands I'm going to entrust uh, the early church, the beginning days of the church, uh, along with my Holy Spirit, this, these teachings of great importance. And here we find Jesus doing something completely contrary to what uh, a, perhaps a worldly leader might do in setting himself up and saying, look at me, I'm the person you should follow, you should all be serving me. Now we see that he's washing his disciples' feet. And uh, it says in verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to feed them with a towel that was wrapped uh, sorry, he began. Sorry, I just lost my place. They poured water in the basin, began to wash the subject and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So we see him doing kind of the unthinkable. I'm sure those disciples, their feet were dirty and stinky, uh, but he's showing humility and he's asking them to follow his example. Uh, and of course, Peter objects to that and says, Not my feet, Lord. And another event is uh, very interesting in this passage because we see just a little bit later, um, verse 27, then after he'd taken the morsel, Satan, this is talking about Judas, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. So this was the moment when Judas, a disciple whom the other disciples could not have detected any disfavor from Jesus towards them because they had no idea what was about to happen from Jesus' point of view. So it really seems that Jesus demonstrated the same love all the way through to Judas. And here we see Jesus knows that Judas is going to betray him. So love one another as I have loved you. This is the standard. And of course, 
the very next day we see the ultimate expression of that love in which he was willing to go through that phenomenal suffering on the cross for us. Um, a great measure of that suffering obviously was physical. We understand the cross was basically an implement of torture that the Romans had designed for the worst of criminals. And of course you can read descriptions of the, the pain that Jesus must have experienced as he died on the cross. But I also believe there was a tremendous emotional and spiritual uh, suffering that Jesus went through, taking on himself the guilt and the shame of all of humanity. And also spiritually, if we understand that from eternity past, there was this inseparable bond between Jesus and the Father, which we understand on the cross because of sin being placed on Jesus there was now a separation. And that's why Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Suddenly feeling that separation from the Father to whom he had been in connection from eternity past. And this love for us, a love that was unconditional. So we're talking about a command that our Lord is asking us to obey. And it's, I believe this message isn't actually complicated for our minds to understand. But the objective of the message is to actually put it into practice. That's the challenge for each one of us, to consider in our own lives how we might do that. Now, the word for love, uh, we hear so many love songs. Now, I think I've been more exposed to the love songs in Latin America. I don't know that you hear on the buses and all that kind of thing. But so much of the lyrics expresses a love that is self-orientated. Uh, and I don't know if you've considered that. Like, this person completes me. I need them in my life. What am I going to do without you? This kind of thing. But real, unconditional love involves a decision to love the person independent of the manner in which they might treat you or react to you. And I remember just as an example, um, you know, when you go into the mission field, you're very focused on the kind of people that you're going to reach out to, but you don't think about the mission team that you're going to get. And I remember we had a, a new uh, girl that came on the team, and she was incredibly difficult for me to deal with. Uh, she was extremely direct. She had studied psychology, and she had this way of being very offensive with the questions that she, that she asked. Like one of the questions I think she asked at some point was, why do you think the fact that you are so, uh, so societally challenged has affected you like this? Things like that. Or, why, uh, or your, your, your emotion, why do you think your emotional intelligence is underdeveloped? Is that a question? How are you trying to say? So what I would have to do um, after, uh, you know, being with the team and that kind of thing, I've, I used to feel a very strong anger developing towards this person. And I'm not a very angry person. And, uh, but, you know, one understands that uh, they need to make every effort to preserve the, uh, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Uh, love one another as I have loved you. And so I would need to uh, spend extra times in prayer specifically praying for this person. And so I would pray for them and I would say, Lord, and you know what comes to mind, you know? Lord, show them their mistake and, and convict them and punish them if, they, if it's still your will, if you still do that. <laughs> no. But I would sort of, 
I, I would force myself to pray and say, Lord, I need to love this person. I forgive them. I pray that you would bless them. And then on the other side, but not too much. Um, you know, there's that kind of battle that you go through. But in a sense, we're seeing that the, the command to love other people is in connection with the Lord. There's an enabling and a grace that he gives us and we live in relationship to him. But the decision to love is inalterable and that's the decision that God has made with us. We've let him down so many times. We've failed so many times. We've promised him that the next time we wouldn't do it again. Uh, and even as he looked at us, as, as we see in Romans 7, very rarely will somebody even die for a good man. Though for, maybe for a good man someone might dare to die. But while we were sinners, Christ died for us. There was no merit in us that deserved him putting his attention on us. And yet he took this decision to love us in, in a limitless way to such a point that would take him to die the cruelest death imaginable on the cross. And now he's asking, and this is the challenge, because we celebrate the grace of God, we celebrate the gospel. But now the challenge comes to say, are you willing to actually love somebody like that. Maybe you need to love your boss and maybe he's terrible. Maybe he uh, fibs on you. You know, maybe, maybe there are people in your circle who actually speak badly about you and gossip about you and damage your reputation. I know my wife had a very bad experience with somebody who uh, went around and kind of damaged her reputation with everyone else and she almost lost her job until the truth came to light uh, and the other person was shown to be lying. But in those cases, and I don't know if you can think of somebody in your life like that. Um, I know I've, I have the blessing of getting along well with my mother-in-law, for example, but I have heard stories that that may be a challenge too. But the question is, are you willing to take a decision that is inalterable to love that person? And I think this is also a bedrock of marriage as well. So that's the question. Loving others as Christ has loved you. And as I say, I really believe it to be something uh, that must be done in relationship with God. And something that I think is interesting talking about the enabling of God to fulfill his commands. In Romans 5, you see the phrase that God has poured out his love into our hearts. And so I believe that he has made it possible to do that. Um, and I don't know if you agree with that, but sometimes we have the excuse of saying that person is impossible or that person cannot be loved. Um, sometimes even uh, in, in the mission experience, when you first are challenged to go to mission, sometimes you might hear somebody say, and this is kind of a mistake, that the nations are um, begging, they're dying to know the truth about Jesus. But actually in experience, you might find that you go to a people group and they're actually happy with their lives. They're not really seeking more. They're not really seeking to know. And their doors are very closed. And you might even find yourself getting upset with the people that the Lord is calling you to, to love and minister to. But the love of Christ is available to us. And I think some prayers needed some of the time. They just to forgive and say, Lord, I'm struggling to love this person. And with this member of my team that I was praying for, um, I would actually find that the Lord over time changed my heart. Enabling, didn't, the person didn't change in the beginning, um, but actually God was changing my heart and giving me the ability to love this person. And I think that's an amazing testimony. So I certainly believe that no matter how difficult the person is, that 
through the Lord's enabling and grace. We can actually love them. All right. I would like to um, sort of uh, start landing the plane in a sense. Um, so as I'm preaching, sometimes Spanish expressions come to mind, and I just need to <laughs> just keep it in English. Otherwise, everyone's going to look at me quite strangely, I'm sure. We need to distinguish between love and the expression of love. Now, both of, both of these things are very important. In 1 Corinthians 6.14, it says, Let all that you do be done in love. So this uh, kind of opens up the possibility of that we might do things in love or not in love. And the things that we do being expressions of love, but the love itself, I believe, is actually something invisible because it's a decision of the will. It's also not essentially an emotion because if we were to go with our emotions in regard to love, let's take the example of marriage. Uh, on the day that we don't feel love towards the person, are we going to then not love them? So love is not essentially an emotion I think it can evoke emotion, but it is essentially of the will. It's a decision. But we need to express that love in different ways. So just very practically, um, what kind of expression does love take? Let's say as you hear this message, you feel challenged uh, by the Lord to love others just as he loved us in his example, washing feet, showing humility, and, co and coming to that place to even give his life for us. How will you express love to people. I believe a lot of the expression of love essentially connects with people's needs. Now, people are physical, people have emotions, and obviously there's a spiritual as well. And it's interesting if you look, I am using a couple of other passages, but if you look in 3 John, John expresses, expresses a desire for the people who are reading or listening to his letter. He says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So here we see uh, joy being expressed and also uh, desire and prayer, I think is that word, pray there. In other translations, the word is desire for the person's well-being. So when we talk about love from a practical point of view, we can think about things like physical need. Um, we know that the spiritual is the most important, the gospel, discipleship, but we also understand that people have physical needs. So we can talk about things like food and water. We can talk about um, clothing. We talk about safety, security, a place to live. Things like that are also expressions of love. Um, Finances, uh, and obviously we want to be wise in that, uh, the ability to generate finances, things like skills development and things like that, um, which can be a, a practical way to show love to people. There's also an emotional side, and I don't know in your case, I know we all have different personalities. Um, I don't express emotion a lot in public, but I actually feel emotions a lot, uh, and Sometimes on the mission field, I think there were some previous years where we worked in a very isolated kind of context and we saw very little fruit and, and uh, I think unwisely some of our happiness depended a little bit on whether people would respond to the gospel or not. Um, we became quite discouraged 
it's, it's some of the sort of lack of fruit and the, and the reactions of the people that we are reaching out to. And so having a Barnabas or a person who's encouraging a missionary can be a tremendous thing. And uh, actually this week, even on Thursday, I was feeling an unusually high measure of discouragement. And I actually, uh, I called a friend, uh, I sent a message to a friend, and I said, can I just go and talk to you? And so I drove to Benoni on Thursday, uh, and this person saw me briefly, and it wasn't really a small talk kind of conversation. It was kind of a look me in the eye and speak the truth of the Word of God to me and kind of pick me up. It wasn't, a sort of, it wasn't so much a sympathetic kind of thing because there are different personalities. Some people might say, you know, ach, shame, I'm, I'm so sorry for it. This isn't a person really like that. But it's a person who's like, come on, fight the good fight of faith. You need to get up and be strong in the strength of the Lord. And that really was of great encouragement to me. And finally, of course, uh, in terms of spiritual things, we understand evangelism and discipleship. Now, I've noticed something in my time in South Africa these just few weeks um, that I've been here. Um, and perhaps it's, it's cultural, but I've noticed that the phrase, how are you, here, is more of a greeting in general. I don't know if you noticed that. And obviously, I'm not being critical because I'm also from here. But where we are, how are you, is actually more like a, a, a question that you really want. I don't know how you'd feel if you asked somebody, how are you? And then they just started gushing, you know, how they are, how they really are and all their struggles and they, you know, feel. But I think, how are you? And sometimes what I've done in the past is actually say, how are you personally? How are you feeling in your emotions? What is your experience? And really taking time to find out how a person is can be a great expression of love. And of course, the spiritual part, the greatest need of a human being, reconciliation with God. Uh, and how will... They believe unless somebody preaches to them. All right. Okay, we're not quite finished with our passion, uh, with our passage. We're just going to uh, just have a look at this last uh, phrase here. Now, sadly, if you walk around Saraguro, you will find a lot of the time walking around Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, Adventists, sometimes Unitarians. So we have quite a confusing sort of um, context for the people to understand what is the truth. But it's interesting if you look at them, how, how would you know somebody's a Mormon? I don't know if there are that many Mormons in South Africa, but how would you know that somebody's a Mormon? You can kind of usually recognize them uh, in two ways. One, they usually have a, a little tag here. Elder so-and-so or whatever. And, and it's usually there's a hairstyle as well, I think. Hey, I don't know. I don't know if you've had much contact with Mormons. And Jehovah's Witnesses, um, they all tend to dress very conservatively, at least where we are, and they'll usually have their bag and their sort of uh, magazines kind of thing and that kind of thing. So there's a, there's a distinctive mark that will help you recognize who they are so that you can figure out if you... If you want to invite them in, how, how long it's going to take uh, or not, that kind of thing. But there's a distinctive mark. There's something that helps you to recognize or detect that this is a Mormon or a, or a Jehovah's Witness. Now, when it comes to a Christian, we see, uh, or a disciple of Christ, uh, we see this in this passage. By this, all men will know 
that you are my disciples. So what is the distinctive mark? Our faith, the reality of the Christian experience, isn't uh, essentially a, a very external one. We saw in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus taking the mentality of the people from a very external-based religion to a very heart-based religion. So our distinctive, what makes us distinct from the rest of the world is actually in the heart, but it's also expressed. And that is that we love one another as he loved us. So that's quite a big challenge. And I don't know if, if you're looking at the church in a general sense, would you say that the distinctive mark of a believer is that they love one another? I would really hope that would be the case. Um, whereas the world um, is often consumed with a self-oriented living, what is good and best for me, looking out for number one, our distinctive mark is that we love one another. And I know as a family, while we've been in South Africa, I can say we've experienced uh, tremendous love while we're here, and there's a lot, of, a lot of hope for us. Okay, I'm going to end with one last scripture. Matthew chapter 5, 14 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. All right, let's pray. Father God, this is, uh, it seems a simple instruction that we understand we should love one another, that inalterable decision of looking out for another person, of contributing to their needs, of benevolence, of good-heartedness, of kindness towards them. But Lord, if we look at our lives, we don't want to just assume we're getting it right. How we long, Lord, that the church be characterized by love. Uh, we could engage in so many different things to try to win the lost. But Lord, surely when they see that there's real love, something so different from the self-consumed, self-orientated uh, mentality and lifestyle of the world. I pray for those who are here tonight and those who are listening, Father. Lord, you said that your love has been poured out in our, in our hearts. Uh, you said that we love because you first loved us. You said that those who are born of God are those who love. And I pray, Father, for the courage to love. Help us, Lord, in our, in our different circles, in, the, in our families, in our, in our workplaces, in university, with people who perhaps are difficult to love, um, who might get us uh, irritated or annoyed, perhaps. Help us in moments where we feel tired and, and spent and exhausted, when we have so much on our plate, when we're busy, Lord. Help us to still be characterized as those who love one another. We desire that the world could see that we are your disciples because of the surely you, Lord, the one who gave your life, who sacrificed himself on the cross of Calvary, who died the cruelest death imaginable out of love for your Father and also for us. Jesus, who chose to love us through thick and thin, through those times when we seem faithful, but those times when we're not, when we've rejected you, when we've uh, cast you aside when we've chosen just to focus on ourselves. If this is the one that we call master, 
Lord, I pray that we would emulate you, that we would demonstrate that Christ-likeness by your grace, by your empowering, that the world may know uh, that we are disciples. And in whatever context it is, whether we're here, whether we are on some mission field where people don't know what a disciple of you looks like, I pray that that love would shine forth and people would be amazed and truly be asking what is different in this person. I have to know, I have to come to know this God that has made the difference in their lives. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.